If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is what's in the Old Testament. It's, a, it's one of the major prophets, uh, and there's minor prophets, but that is not a knock on uh, Jonah and them that they're minor. Um, but the major prophets, they're really more about the size of the prophecy. Uh, and so if you notice, Isaiah is a very large book. Jeremiah, another one of the larger books of the, bio, of the Bible. Uh, but Isaiah chapter 9, I'm going to read this, um, this story, uh, this prophecy to you um, is what I want us to do first as before we jump into our text and jump into the, the bulk of the message this morning. Uh, really, we're just going to look at one verse over the next um, four weeks uh, leading us up to Christmas. So... Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, if you have a Bible, feel free to use a device. If you don't have one, there are Bibles, but uh, of course, Austin, some of the others are out, and so they're just sitting in a box over there. <laughs> I'm just noticing as I look over there, I'm like, that's a box. Amazon. Inside that Amazon box that Will's headed towards um, has some Bibles there. If you don't have one, I would in- invite you to take one, and it's yours, our gift to you as well. But here, uh, to kind of give us some context, because it is jumping in, we walk through books of the Bible at Redeemer, that's what we love to do, we're in the book of Mark, and we're pausing for the Christmas season, um, and we'll jump back in in the new year, Um, but... When you jump into this text, what we're seeing is the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the Hebrew nation, um, is really, really despondent. Um, The Assyrians have ransacked them. These were a brutal, brutal people. Uh, And they were, I mean, like when you read the history of the Assyrians and the time for, of, of, especially at this time, this is, this prophecy here is about 700 or so years before Jesus is coming. This is in a dark time. Uh, Israel had slowly wandered away. They started with, they wanted a king way back. If you go in your Old Testament history, you go way back and they, they wanted a king. And God gave them what they wanted. They got a king. They got a man named Saul, and then Saul, David. You've probably heard of David, and David and Goliath, the story there, and then his sons. And then the the generations continued on, and further and further, there was an evil king, Ahab, that led Israel astray, and there was many others that did as well. And here we see really the effects of this, but the despondency of Israel, and they're looking for hope. But they don't know where it's going to come from. They feel very hopeless. And then here's God raising up Isaiah to be this prophet, to be this proclaimer, to tell the people of Israel about. And what he's going to tell them is about as a birth announcement that is going to bring hope to the nations. And so in Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at, we're going to read this passage each week. I invite you to memorize a section of it. Feel free to memorize this whole section. But starting in verse 2, so Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, here's part of the prophecy of Isaiah and the Lord speaking to his people. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. What a picture. It's a picture I think we all can recognize if you've ever been in a really, really dark place. And all what I have is sleep, and I use a light to guide me. And here it says the people who walked in darkness, but of course the picture is darkness is not just literal darkness like the earth, the sun wasn't shining. No, they're walking in spiritual darkness. They have wandered away from the truths of God. They've wandered away from worship of the one true God, and now they are walking in darkness. And here's what it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them, what a special announcement. 
On them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Here's the verses you've probably heard before. And I would invite you, if you haven't memorized them, to memorize them through this series. For to us, hear that. For to us, a child is born. To us, hear that. To, God says, to a people, for to us a child is born. To us, notice this, a son is given. And we think of Christmas, we think of gifts, we think of the greatest gift of all. Is a phrase we kind of use sometimes sadly, flippantly. It's this greatest gift, Jesus is the greatest gift of all. We might say that phrase and use that phrase and say it lightly, but here is this picture, is this gift of a child. It's an announcement. Think about this. Think about birth announcements. If I, were to, if I were to investigate each of you that have Facebook pages that have had children, and I said, what is the most liked and, and commented pay, like, uh, picture thing that you've put on your Facebook page? Most likely, it's probably a birth announcement. There's something about an announcement about a birth, you know, whether it's, hey, we are pregnant and we're excited and if you look, look back, I mean, and feel free to do this on your own. Go back to your Facebook page, you, know, you ladies, and look and see when you announce that, how many comments compared to some of the other things that you post. Here's this announcement. Here's this birth announcement. It's magnificent. It's joyous. It's joyful. And here he's saying, for to us, to you is born to us a son. And notice this, it's a gift. It's given. But notice about this child, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Here's what we're going to look at over the next four weeks. Wonderful counselor. It's a couplet here. Four couplets. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace notice this there will be no end we were singing about this he shall reign forevermore and here's the promise i mean think of this though think if you're a nation that has been oppressed you are, you, I mean, you've watched loved ones die. Maybe you've had your sons and your husbands go off to battle and die and others get taken from their homes and, and their land be stripped from them and all their property and all their stuff and they live in this darkness and they're broken and they're needy and here's this promise of this increase of this child being born but this child's not just any child. Its name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And hearing those words, Prince of Peace, he continues on, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Can you think about peace? Can you really think about peace in the Middle East right now? Like, it seems impossible. It seems like there is no way could ever be peace. 
But here's a promise of a kingdom that's an everlasting kingdom and a kingdom that will never end. And a mark of that kingdom is shalom, peace. And notice what it says. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice. What's the marks of this kingdom? Justice and righteousness from this time. If you weren't sure if he meant what he was saying by there's going to be no end, he's going to say it again. From this time forth and forevermore. And then if you were wondering how is he going to accomplish it, is this child, this child king able to accomplish something like this? Here's the pronouncement, here's the statement. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It's a remarkable birth announcement. It's way better than my birth announcement when, when Amanda and I were announcing our, our children. There was no there was no thinking, of, like, like, we didn't think through all of these, like, I don't know, some of you might have really thought through your name, and like, man, I, we, we just looked at the list, and we started thinking about, like, what do we like, what sounds good, what goes with Hill, you know, all those things. We worked through those things, but I wasn't thinking about the name behind the name. But some, maybe you've chosen that. In the Bible, many times, the name had extraordinary meaning behind it. When we think of Jacob, his name was Deceiver. And God changed his name to Israel. It is Israel becoming the father of a nation of Israel. We think of other names in the Bible. You think of those names. We know that Jesus, the name that is above every name, what does it mean? It means the Lord saves. So there's meaning behind a name. And here's the name, not just not names, the name of this child. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince peace. Well, this morning, I want to just briefly, I know we don't have children's ministry this morning. Again, apologies for that uh, as well. And I know some of you, this is your first time here and you're like, well, there's no children's ministry. I'm so sorry. That's all I really can say. Uh, Come back next week, I guess, is what else I could say. Hopefully we'll have children's ministry next week. Um, But this morning, all I want to do this morning is talk about this one first name that we see, Wonderful Counselor. And what we see about this wonderful counselor. So if you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. As a wonderful counselor, what does it mean that Jesus is wonderful? I use that word a lot. <laughs> you know, like, that's wonderful. Like, like you, and you're like, man, that's amazing. Or that's wonder, like, that's kind of the word we mean behind that. But wonder is wonderful in this text and in the Hebrew is more miraculous. He's a miraculous counselor. He is miraculous. He does things that are impossible. It's too, it's beyond uh, comprehension, what he is able to do. But here, first, I want you to see this. As a wonderful counselor, Jesus is infinitely wise. If you were to go back in your Bibles uh, to Job, and you, you start looking at Job, and you start hearing what Job begins to say as he starts, as he questions the Lord, and as he's wrestling with God and what his knowledge is, and listen how the Lord answers Job in Job 38. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Did you hear that? He says, because he's, he's talking to Job and he's saying, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Meaning, do you think you have all knowledge, Job? Do you think your friends have all knowledge? And here's what he says. You ready for this? Dress for action. Like a man, Job, I will question you and you make it known to me. And here's what he says. Where were you when I laid the foundation 
of the earth. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Who can stop the sea? Who controls these things? Who has put all these things? You have to understand. See, God, and we see this throughout Scripture, God is infinitely wise. But in this is the picture of who God is, that he is all-knowing, that he knows all things. What, listen, and I hope this is a comfort to you, that God knows all things. In Psalm 139, as David is, is, under, is grasping and, and talking about, this knowledge is really too wonderful for me. And he starts thinking about, like, God knows me. He knew me in my mother's womb. You see, when we think of a counselor, we think of someone who's going to help us. And there's many good counselors. There's many people. I, I, would, I mean, listen, I would encourage you. Like, we should be seeking counsel in people. Um, I, I feel very humbled. And, and many times people come to, to me for counsel on various things. And I, I, I want to give my best. I want to give them knowledge. I want to help. I'm going to help maybe see something that you're not seeing from a, from a blind spot in your life or something like that. And you, you notice these things. But I'm not infinitely wise. I don't know all things. I don't understand everything in your life because I wasn't there with your story. I wasn't logging along with you. But here we find that this wonderful counselor, he is infinitely wise. He knows all things. There is no end to his wisdom. There is nothing that goes without his full comprehension and understanding. You see, Jesus is a wonderful counselor because he is all wise. He knows all things. But just because he is this wonderful counselor, this name that is called, this one, this child that is going to be born. What we see, though, is we've been walking through the book of Mark. If you've been journeying with us through the book of Mark or you've read some of the Gospels before, you see this, how Jesus was so wise. We were just looking at this, and we're going to continue it in, in the new year as Jesus is interacting with the scribes and the Pharisees. Remember what they would say about him when he would stand up to, to speak, even at a young age, at the young age of 12. I don't know why I pointed down here like a 12-year-old down here. I have a 12-year-old's about as tall as me, actually, so I shouldn't say that. Um, but even at the age of 12, here he speaks with such, they're, they're blown away by his skill and his understanding. When he's approached with questions, he has the answer. He knows all things. He is infinitely wise. And so as a wonderful counselor, Jesus is infinitely wise. But here's another one, and you can write this down too, is this. As a wonderful counselor, Jesus knows what you need before you ask. Because he is infinitely wise, it's not just that he has knowledge. He has knowledge of you. He has personal knowledge of you, so, that, so much knowledge of you that he knows exactly what you're going to ask before you even ask it. He has full understanding of you. The Bible tells us that there's not a hair on your head that he doesn't know. He knows exactly how many. There's a few less on my hair each and every day, it seems like. But he knows exactly how many are there. He knows 
all things. And he knows what you're going to ask. Now, here's what, why I say that. Because when we think of a, a counselor, a, a, an earthly counselor, a person who would try to seek, you would seek counsel for and you would ask them about and you would ask them things. You know, when we're doing that, we're trying to express you know, as for me, when, it, when I have sought counsel and, and, and a man and I, are continu- we continue to seek counsel in our marriage and our parenting and how we parent and, and always wanting to, to do our best. And so we want to seek the wise counsel of others. We want to know, hey, what worked for you and why? What would you do? I, mean, I remember uh, at Calvary, we had a wonderful family pastor. His name was Rodney Navy. He became such a mentor to me, and I wanted to sit in his office. I know I was like, I'm paid to do more than just sit in your office, but if it's okay, can I just sit in your office and just ingest whatever you're doing all day and every day? Because I feel like there's a, you're like the model pastor. You're the model parent. You're the model husband. What do I need to be? I want to be like you, so teach me, show me. And so I would go to him, and I would ask him questions, and he would give me counsel on those things. But here's the reality is he can only help me Because as much as I tell him, and he's going to base what he's helping me off of what I tell him. Because he doesn't know all of me. He doesn't know the deepest, darkest crevices of my heart unless I have literally opened it all and said, hey, here's everything about me. And it is ugly and messy, and I know, but this is me. You see, God knows everything. And so we, you know, we try to, to learn how to express our emotions when we seek counsel. We we give counselors insight into our past so they can give the best advice possible. But see, Jesus, as the wonderful counselor, doesn't need details to know how to respond. He already knows them. He knows exactly what you and I need. And see, you know why? That's why he came. He came because he knew a need that you didn't even know about. He came because he knew that the people who walked in darkness didn't know that they needed a child to be born from Bethlehem. They didn't know that this is what they needed. They're wanting help, but they don't know what help they actually need. But God knew what they needed before they even asked, so he acted upon it and said, For unto you is born. I'm going to give you a child. A child is born, and this child is going to be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the government shall be upon his shoulders and on his throne. And as we've been reading, it's going to be on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This is what they needed, but they didn't know this is what they needed. And so when we go to council, we're, we're wanting help and we want to get the help that we need, but sometimes we don't know what we need. See, God is infinitely wise, and he's all-knowing, and he knows exactly what you need. And so Jesus, as a wonderful counselor, knows everything about you. He knows exactly what you need. And here's the great promise. The promise is right at the end of verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God says, I will do this. He promised to them, and what he's telling us is, I have already done this. I already came. I came so that you could have life. He will accomplish this. You know, we like to seek counselors who, from people. If you're like me, you want to seek counsel from people who are wiser than you. <laughs> right? Or it's like, why would I go to someone else if I don't feel like they have wisdom in a certain area? Or at least, can, you know, or at least we want someone who can relate. We want to, to when going through grief, right? 
If you're going through grief, you want to talk and to listen to someone who has experienced that kind of grief. You want someone who has struggled in the same struggle maybe as you and has overcome it. And you're sharing, hey, I have this sin struggle. I have this difficulty and I need help. You want to seek someone who has overcome it. You want someone who has accomplished it, who is, who's further along than you. It's great to have peers. But yet, when it comes to the nitty-gritty and the difficulty of life, we want help that knows what we've gone through. We want someone who, who can understand what we have gone through. And here's the reality, and this is what is so beautiful about this wonderful counselor, is Jesus being a wonderful counselor, he understands what you're going through. It's not just that he knows what you're going through. It's not that he's just all wise. Like sometimes, have you ever been around someone who seems a little too wise for what they... <laughs> And they want to tell you about their wisdom. And they kind of make you look, feel, feel like, okay, I don't know anything. Like this guy's, like the smartest guy in the room. And you're like, all right, I feel uncomfortable in this room. It's one thing to know that God is all wise. That this wonderful counselor, he's all wise. It's, it's nice to know that he knows everything about me. And so even when I come to with my, my struggles and fears and all those things, he knows that about me. But it's another to know that this wonderful counselor has experienced what you and I experience. You see, this wonderful counselor can sympathize with us in our weakness. He can sympathize with us. He, he knows, yes, and he is all wise, yes, but because he came, because Jesus became man, the God-man, the Son of God, who comes in human flesh, born of a virgin. You know what? Jesus knows how you feel. You see, he knows what rejection by a father even feels like. Remember on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was taking on the wrath, the sin of the world and the wrath of God was coming upon him. God the Father, in a sense, turning his back on the Son. He knows what it's like to experience hurt. He knows what it's, what it's like to experience grief. You've, you maybe have lost a loved one and you're, you've, you've lived in that grief and it's so difficult. And you're going through those stages of grief. Jesus knows. He sympathized with you. I mean, his own family member, John the Baptist, was murdered. A loved one, a friend. His friend Lazarus dies. The beautiful thing is he had the power to raise from the dead, and he could raise Lazarus from the dead, but still we see his sorrow. This is the shortest verse that we have in the Bible. Jesus wept over Lazarus. You see, Jesus knows. He knows when you're struggling in sin and you feel like, man, I cannot get overcome this sin. He knows how to face temptation, because he faced temptation. Hebrews, uh, I believe it's chapter 4. Um, going fast, so I'm kind of skipping around on my notes a little bit. But Hebrews 4, verse 15, says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, we have a wonderful counselor who knows what we're going through. Not just is he aware of it, but he has felt it before. 
When he lived on this earth for 30 plus years, he experienced hurts, griefs, pains, sufferings, the loss of a father. His father died, most likely, Joseph. We see the the, the loss, the grief that he would have experienced. He experienced those things because he knows his tears were real. His compassion was genuine. He looked and he hurt and he cried and he got hungry. I mean, we see the humanity of Jesus on earth. And so because of that, we can see that he knows and he experiences and he can sympathize with us as a wonderful counselor. But here's what I want to leave us with this morning. I want to kind of be a brief, more brief this morning, knowing um, know how the kid's situation would go this morning as well. But I think really three things that I think that are so important about these, these points this morning, about this wonderful counselor and how we respond to the wonderful counselor. So responding to the wonderful counselor, one is this. We must be honest with the wonderful counselor. You see, it's great to get counsel. It's great to get counsel. I would encourage it, and I would encourage you to go to the wonderful counselor first. We always, we go to the wonderful counselor. He has given us his word, and it is light to us. It is the light of the world. He is the light of the world, and his word is the light for us. Uh, The psalmist says this, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, his word is that. But here's the reality is, is the counselor has come and he's willing and ready and he's, he's all wise and he's all knowing. And you're even going to go to this wonderful counselor. But listen, you can go to counseling. But if you're not honest, if you're not real, it ends up being very pointless. I've often really said this. And I often say this when offering counsel to someone. This is only going to work if you are genuinely honest. If you're giving me half-truths and withholding areas of struggle, you aren't going to get the help that you need. I say that all the time. Because that's the reality, is you have to be honest. You've got to own up. You've got to, the, the, the picture is, step into the light. You see, sin is exposed in the light. We like to hide it in the darkness. And when we hide and we live in the dark, guess what? We're not going to get free from that. It's going to hold us. And we're going to continue in that. And so we step into, and, and that's a big step for some, to go to God with something. You're like, I don't even know how to talk to God yet. Like, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? Or you're like, am I supposed to really open up and share? Should I, should I do life with other people and actually share some of my struggles? I would say, yes, listen, the, the power so much power is found in just stepping out and saying, okay, I am, this is who I am. God, I know that you know me and you're all wise, but I'm sharing my actual struggle. I'm, l- listen, you're wrestling with doubts. Share them with them. Use that and turn that into a prayer. God, I don't understand. I don't, God, I don't understand why this has happened to me. I don't understand. Or if you're struggling in sin, it's not like, all right, well, you're hoping that God doesn't know. And you're like, well, I know he knows, but still, you know, listen, counsel only works when we're completely honest. We must be honest. Second is this, we must listen to the wonderful counselor. It's great that we're honest and that we know that there's this wonderful counselor and we're hearing about this counselor, this, this wonderful counselor, this one who is miraculous in his counsel. So when he speaks, we should listen. We should listen to his counsel. I can't help but think 
Uh, I love the, the picture that John gives of Jesus as the good shepherd. And as we get this picture of God as Jesus as this good shepherd, there's this, there's this phrase in this, this verse, and it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. You see, this is great to say, man, Jesus is, is wonderful. He's a wonderful counselor. I know he's all wise. I know I should take my troubles to him. But I know I probably should even listen to, but, or I, I, should, I, should, I should go to him with these things. Or I probably should be reading my Bible more to understand what is his counsel. This is called the counsel of God. Like, what is, what is that? If I don't spend time in it. The reality is, if you're a sheep, if you're one of the followers of Jesus, they hear his voice. And they know him. And what do they do? They follow him. And thirdly, and finally, we must obey the wonderful counselor. You see, it's great to be honest. It's great to listen to good counsel. But it's another to obey. James tells us this, James 1, 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Notice this, deceiving yourselves. You know how we deceive ourselves? By being just a hearer. A lot of people like to, to know facts. And many of us can know a lot of facts about Jesus, about God, about his word. We can know these things. But it does nothing for us if we're not acting on them. If we're not a doer of the word. I think about this time, this is about, I don't know, about five years ago, six years ago before the pandemic as well, and a, a young guy came into my office. I think I've shared the story about him before, um, but this, this, young, this, young, this young boy is probably 16, 17. Um, I'd never met him before. He calls me. He calls on my office phone at the church that I was serving. I was the high school pastor, and he calls, and um, he wants to meet with a pastor, and, and so he just looked up our church and got my number and called. So, like, we had no relationship. He comes in, sits in my office, and begins to share with me what, like, he was feeling like he was having, like, a spiritual moment on this trip um, that he had gone to Europe. And he, and really, kind of unique, but he was saying on this trip, he had gone to all these cathedrals and seen these just beautiful cathedrals and seen some of the architecture and the paintings and these paintings about I mean, the different, I mean, you see, I mean, there's some very, very, I mean, very expensive, but uh, I mean, very prominent uh, paintings that were done, Renaissance and various times uh, in history. And these beautiful paintings depicting different scenes about God and about the stories, the, the prodigal son, for instance, or, um, or, or others, or the, you know, the, the Last Supper, there's a picture there as well, this painting. And he, he saw these things, and it was like, like, this is an irreligious person, never, not gone to church, never done anything like that, never heard of the gospel, never been inside a church, I think, except for on those, that trip on those cathedrals. And he comes into my office and he's like, man, something about that trip just stirred up something in me and I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what I need to do and all this stuff. And, and like, he just, just wanted to talk to someone. He's seeking counsel. And he sat across the desk from me and I began to just explain to him the story of creation, the story of redemption, the story trying to explain the gospel to him and tell him that Jesus came. He lived and he died and he rose again on the third day so that he could give you life. He is the God who came because of our brokenness. And I explained the brokenness and the sin uh, that separated us from this holy God. And here's why he exactly he came, to redeem us, to 
purchase our freedom, to give us hope, this everlasting hope. And I'm sharing the gospel with him, and he's hearing me, and he's listening. He's like, oh, man. He's taking it all in. He's listening. He's sought counsel. He's now sitting in the room, and he's listening. And I'm trying to do my very best, as feeble as I am, to share the gospel with him and to tell him about what God has done and what God, how God loves him. And God has even used this little trip for, for you to, to hear, the, the, like, to, to maybe come and ask a question. And sure enough, God has ordained all these things. God knows. He sat across the desk from me, and I shared the gospel to, with him. And I looked him in the eyes and said, you, you need to... All you have to do is trust him, put your faith in him, and follow him. And with really, not sadness in his heart, but sadness in mine, he looked me in the eyes and he said, so I have to give up those certain lifestyle of sin that he was living in. You're saying I'd have to give up this and that and others and all this stuff. And I said, well, if God's calling you, He's calling you for your heart. He wants all of you, every bit of you. Does that mean you got to go in ministry? No, it doesn't mean you're going to ministry. But you're gonna, your life is now going to center around Christ. I'm explaining all that to him. And he looked at me and he's like, I don't think I can do that. He talked a little bit more and eventually he left. Never heard from him again. Can't help but think. Here's someone who's really close it really reminds me of a story that we just read recently in the book of Mark, the rich young ruler. He's seeking the counsel. He's going to God. He's going to Jesus. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? And he's thinking, I'm, I've done everything, but I, something's missing in my life. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. You can listen to that message at another time if you want. But here he goes to this rich young ruler, and the rich young ruler has been given the counsel. He hears it. He's listened. But what did the young, rich young ruler do? walked away because he had great riches and God was calling him to sell his possessions and give to the poor. Now, does that mean that we all sell our possessions and give to the poor? No. But God was coming after his heart. He was coming after the idol of his heart. And the idol of his heart was money and it was finances and security that it brought, all those things. And he wasn't willing to give up that. And so sure enough, what happened? He walked away sad. You see, it's great to have a wonderful counselor. It's great to listen to good counsel. But good counsel is great and wonderful, and it's great to take in. But unless we act on the counsel, it's worthless. You see, we must obey his counsel. Here's this promise this Christmas season, that there is a wonderful counselor, and he came to meet your greatest need. The greatest need that each and every one of us had was this spiritual darkness that we were walking in, that I was walking in for, for several years of my life. So God opened my eyes to my need of his work of transformation in my life. And until I rested in him and said, I believe and I will give you my life. You get all of me. I surrender my life to yours until I went under his kingdom and his authority. And I let him rule and reign in my life. Until I did that, I was walking in darkness. But then all of a sudden, transformed into his kingdom, a child of God. You see, this wonderful counselor, he came. And this counselor is remarkable. He is all-wise. He's all-knowing. He knows all things, and he knows even what you're going to ask before you ask it. And he sympathizes with you because he came and lived a life of humanity and experienced what we experience. And here he is, this wonderful counselor, wanting to help you, 
wanting to get you through the challenges and struggles, the grief, the, the pain, the suffering, the hurts, the regrets that you have, the sin struggles that you have. Here he is ready to give wonderful counsel to you. He's given it to us in his word. What are we to do with it? We're to obey. We're to listen and obey. Listen, that's my, that's my hope for each and every one of us. As we're walking through this life and journeying through this life, that we are experiencing this wonderful counselor and walking in light of it. Kind of like, not kind of, like the verse that we looked at earlier. The sheep hear my voice and they know him and he knows them and they follow him. Let's follow Jesus, this wonderful counselor this season. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a wonderful counselor. God, I thank you that you came, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, the light of the world. Thank you for the counsel that you bring that you are our wonderful counselor. You are magnificent. You are indescribable. You are too wonderful for us. There's not enough words in our dictionaries and all the languages of the world to describe how great you are. That's why there's so many names for you. The name of God. I thank you that you're the God who saves and redeems, and I thank you that you come invade our lives, to, to remove the darkness and the sin of our heart that deceives us. But help us to be doers of your word. Help us to, to go to this counselor, that we'd seek your counsel, that we'd look to you for advice and help. God, we tend to go to our other sources. We go to the internet and Google and various means and ways to try to get counsel. And sadly, many of us never pray about it. Many of us never go to your word first. So, Father, forgive us of our pride, our spiritual pride. But thank you that your grace is greater. And this is why you're ready and willing to give. And you have already given counsel. May we listen. May we be honest with ourselves and with the reality of the situation. And may we listen and then may we obey. So help us, God. Help us as we journey through this life, as we struggle, as we hurt. May we rest in knowing that you understand all of these things and that you're there to help us through. And that's why you've sent your spirit to dwell us. So God, be glorified in this season of our lives. May we not just leave here the same as we came. May we leave differently in light of the truths of your word. Thank you, God. And we ask all this in your son's name. Amen.